just seems like another call out. And something something was said on the radio, and, and I remember JT's demeanor completely changed. And he said, this is real deal. As I'm moving towards the window, I start hearing multiple shots. The last two, I guess it was five and six, were completely different sounds. I'm like, that's us. Inside that room, there's the body right there, right where we were, right where we needed to be. But we weren't there at the right time. And I just remember the chaos that was going on. I could hear it. I, I heard a guy just screaming. I hear JT say, give me the baby. And it woke me up and I went, okay. And I jumped off of the top of the APC to the hood of the APC. And there's this sound I'd never heard before in my entire life. It came out of his body. And I don't know, I, I'd never heard it. It was just this gurgle. And in that moment, it's so weird. I saw my son. From that moment forward, that was my wife. I swore to myself when I looked at that body on that gurney, I said, I can't be here and have that happen again. I have always loved being a Dallas Police. I love our badge. I love our, our patch. I'm so proud of that patch. I'm so proud of, man, I've never not liked it. I'm a believer. I, 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 I think police work's a calling. I think that's the only way we survive in this. We're supposed to be here. People who are out there right now, you're there for a reason. Majority of the people in this job that, that truly love this job that are here to serve people, that's a calling. It's the only way we survive it. Because, and for me, I believe that God put me in these positions when he knew I was ready. You're listening to the ATL Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assistant Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree, and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow, we can heal, and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, faithfuls and newcomers. I'd like to give a quick thank you to all the support from our little podcast. All those emails in-state and out-of-state. All the critiques. All the shit-talking. We're growing from it. And I just want to thank you for all the love and support. And we just want to thank you for everything. We're creeping up on the holidays, and we have an early present for the listeners. I've known today's guest for more than half of my life. We met in the Dallas Police Academy in January 97. He sat right behind me the entire academy. We played around, goofed off. He turned me on to the Tickets Morning Show. We had deep, thoughtful conversations about Quantum Leap. He retired from DPD after over 20 years. He kicked ass at Southwest and Northeast Division. He was an exceptional and highly respected member of SWAT, and now he's a sergeant with the Texas Attorney General's Fugitive Unit. I've been pretty nervous about this sit-down, not because of me being worried about the content, but because I want to do this, this guy's story justice. I looked up the qualities of a team player. This is what I found. You understand your role. You welcome 
collaboration. You hold yourself accountable. You are flexible. You have a positive attitude. You commit to the team. And you lift up those around you. When I think of Chris Webb, I couldn't think of a better description of a friend, a teammate, and just a great effing guy. Chris, the stage is yours. <laughs> All right, that was it. Yep. It's a wrap. It, it's that was over. Perfect. We can yep, go now. We're done. <laughs> Thank you, folks, for tuning in. <laughs> Joe, that was the strangest thing I've ever experienced. Thank you. It's weird sitting here listening to that. <laughs> yeah. I believe about yeah. half of it. So yeah, that's it was awesome. all. Yeah. Bullshit made up. Were you talking about Chris Webb? <laughs> no, I, I actually had somebody else's <laughs> intro, and I, I had to roll with it. That's good. Thank you. All right. You grew up in Dallas. Yep. And you joined DPD. Was was that something you wanted to do? Man, you know, it's funny. I, I, I grew up in Lake Highlands. I was very fortunate to grow up in a, in a pretty good neighborhood. I lived right by Northeast Patrol. Uh, I did not, I don't know what it was. Oh, well, my granddad, uh, he had a scanner in his room. And I would, when I would go to Temple and be with him, I would spend all night listening to that scanner. And I don't know if that was like subliminal programming. But uh, somewhere around high school, I was like, man, I want to be a cop. I think that looks like fun. Uh, and that's that's kind of where I started leaning into it. My, my dad said, man, don't, that's great, whatever. Go get a degree in something else and then see what happens. So sometime in high school, I, I decided that's something I thought I would, I'd want to do. Well, we have one of our other classmates here too, Randy Aguilar. And nice to meet you. He worked, uh, well, <laughs> Randy, Chris, Chris, Randy. Yeah, good to, good to see um, you. Y'all both worked at Southwest together mm -hmm. for quite a while. Y'all rode together. Is that right? Yeah, we, 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 we actually traveled. We went Southwest together. We were both at Northeast together. Mm -hmm. He just didn't want to follow me to the SWAT team for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. I wasn't pretty enough. I didn't have enough hair. Well, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, you do, disruption, too. You do yeah, now. And disruption. Yeah. Yeah, Y'all are so in the original disruption, the, the, right? The original, yeah, okay. the first iteration of that. I think that's actually what kind of got me springboarded to finally get on the SWAT team. So um, watch out for that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we started Southwest after the <clears throat> graduation of the best of the Blue 252. Um, and uh, ended up in Oak Cliff, which was a great place. I know it kind of – we're not even balancing the southeast. Now it's four on two in here right now. Um, we can take them. Yeah, I know we could. Um, or we could dodge them because we did that a lot southwest. So we rode together. We were partners for a while. Um, I mean, Randy's family. We were in each other's weddings. and So, yeah, I, I know the guy. And he knows me. Just a little bit. He's got some stories that he can't tell right now. Well, we've, we've, we've already recorded a whole segment while you're sitting there talking. So <laughs> that's going to be in the blooper reel. Oh, my gosh. Um, during the academy, Randy was kind of the class clown for sure, and you were like his jest jester. And I think I was, it's reversed. I think he was. No, I'm kidding. No, I was, you're about yeah, right. Yeah, where did that make you then? <laughs> I was the sneaky behind the scene. Boy, yeah, yeah, you were the. You were the. But you started everything. You really started everything. You used. The, you let us cover for you. But no. You started everything. So when you went up to, what was your favorite part of working Southwest, other than working with Randy? Well, I, you know, I was really lucky. I had really good trainers. Um, I went to uh, Steve Paz was my day's trainer. I was his first rookie, so he's really hard on me. Uh, then I went to uh, I went to Deep Nights. Went to Don Rob, 
you know, who taught me, he showed me how to have fun. And then I went to Mark Reed, who, who showed me what work looked like. And then I went back to pause and he's like, oh man, you got this. Don't worry about it. Cause well, I guess some of our other classmates had cycled through. And so then he was like, yeah, you're good. Uh, I, I liked my trainers. I ended up running around with Paul Inman was my first actual partner. I learned a ton from Paul. Paul's still here. Uh, and then I fell into working 40-40s on the weekends. I was, a, I was a weekend warrior with them. So that was, you know, Chad Smith, who's the, who was the best street cop I've ever met. But hands down, there's not, I, I can, I can honestly, I've met a lot of good cops. Chad Smith's the best street cop I ever met. He had a memory like a, I mean, he could, he remembered everything about everybody. And he was smart. Um, Ticketmaster is what, if you've got a nickname from the hooks, if you get a nickname, you've, 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 you're there. That's that's a badge of honor, and he was a t- and they put a hit out on him also, which was apparently also yeah, that's that a bigger a badge, badge of honor. Wow. Yeah, they called nine one one and said, "Bring him on, we're going to take care of him." And we all went. They didn't let us arrest anybody, remember? Um, so I got to run with those guys, Chad and Frederick and Kurt, uh, Frederick Fraser, Kurt Hibbets, Kent Koch, Ruben Ramirez, Jenna Shackelford. Um, it was it was I learned a ton. And I had a ton of fun. Paul Figueroa was in that group. We had a ton of fun. It was still fun, right? It was just fun. It was catching, you know, I was about to say catching robbers. Isn't that? Yeah, no. we still use that. Yeah, that's about right. Um, so I loved working in the small group. I loved that small group team atmosphere. Um, that was That's where I learned that you can get a lot more done with, you know, you're going to get into stuff as one man, but. You're really going to get into some stuff with some friends, and that was that was that started my career is, is kind of going towards those small groups um, and working in those uh, deployment squads. Yeah, we're going to get into where that built you up to because working in those tight units like that, uh, we all have worked on those units, and um, <clears throat> you worked on uh, the ultimate team setting, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, I want to also mention some other folks we have sitting here. I already mentioned Randy. <clears throat> we have Sergeant Josh Hertel and Misty Van Curen also. And we have a special guest, our sound guy, uh, SWAT member Danny Canetti. He has been behind the scenes doing our sound and making us sound better because we've been, we're, we're not technical people, but he has uh, been saving us on this. We want to uh, thank him. And this is the first time he's actually showed up in person and uh, showed his face, but we just want to thank him officially for all that he's done for this because well, he's, he doing, he's doing it for free he had to be here he knew i was going to break a microphone or something yeah we needed somebody to bounce me out yeah we said he heard Webb was gonna <laughs> said oh, i gotta be there yeah he'll break something this question is for randy what was your favorite memory working with webb you know i don't know if i have a favorite singular memory work was always fun but i think more of the off-duty and life stuff that we shared together is probably the most fun stuff i've had because you know, he mentioned we were in each other's weddings. Um, I was on a bunch of uh, dates with him, where he'd sneak. We'd sneak up from Southwest to wow. where his uh, <laughs> where his wife, where he'd meet his wife and her friends for dinner. And oh, yes. yeah. oh okay, yeah. 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 Settle, down. Settle down. Yeah. yeah, you know. So I got to see all that and have to listen to him when he was gushing over her um, when they were the, the pre-dating and dating and everything they had. So that was good stuff. Um, you know, we worked at Southwest together, worked a little bit at Northeast disruption. We had a lot of fun, you know, that we get to go over all the city and, um, but if I had to say a good memory, you know, there's all kinds of things. There'd be times when I'd snacking on something in the car and 
running people, he'd be wrestling with them underneath the hood of the car. That happened so many times. Did you at least finish a snack, though? Well, yeah. You want to like, goddamn, yeah, I'm yeah, sitting yeah. here. I got a, an apple in one hand, my whip out book in another yeah. hand. I'm typing with, with my pinkies. <laughs> Next thing I know, he's fighting with somebody. I'm like, God, and I got to run out there and throw my stuff down and not enjoy my snacks. Um, you know, memorable stuff. You know, we, you know, there's all kinds. We, we can get in here and tell war stories all day, but uh, probably one of our. Uh, most proud things I don't think anyone can ever say is that um, we left two kilos of cocaine in a trunk. One kilo. No, there was two. Oh, was it two? Yeah. Um, in, in a trunk of a car from a, a big knock and talk deal that we did, and um, you know that was a fun adventure. And uh, in our defense, there was twenty five kilos in that trunk. So to lose two and back there behind the the flare holder bucket was not that big of a deal. Nah. And it was our car. Right. Nobody else drove it. And when we found it, now, I, I wish y'all could have been a fly on the wall as we, because we went to jail that next Monday, and I hear Randy just go, oh, shit. And I'm like, and you know, we're about to, and he goes, what? He goes, and he showed me, and I'm like, oh, crap. So we finished what we were doing, booked the guy finished in. Finished snacking. And then right, well, no, we booked the guy in at the jail. We drove out of the jail, and we parked, and we're like, what do we do? What we, do we do? We discussed everything from tossing it to... Well, and, and the scenario with tossing it, we were going to run down to the Trinity, cut it open and pour it out and throw it, but we knew that the Fox <laughs> News helicopter would be three miles away, and as we threw it, the wind would blow, and it would blow it back on us. And yeah. We're like, that's probably not the best option. The best <laughs> option. And, and I will say this about Randy, even though it's his turn to talk. Randy, Randy's going to always do the right thing no matter what. Yes. Always. Yeah. Well, you always did. And he said, "We got to call. We got to call the boss. We got to call narcotics." And we did. Well, if you'd have thrown if you'd have thrown that off the bridge in Southwest, it, it wouldn't even have hit the ground. No, no, with with with, with, yeah. with yeah. those many users that are out yeah. there, they wouldn't even have touched the ground. Yeah, <laughs> it'd have been gone. Um, Randy, I know what Chris means to you as a person. We've talked about it. You and I are are, are great friends, and. I know that he means a lot to you. He's like a brother. Yeah, and you know, one of my friends, and I was thinking about this earlier, a friend of mine, we've been ranking best friends, and I don't have a lot. You know, I include you, Joe, and and uh, Thank you here, for that. And, my best, I, and I got another best friend in San Antonio since kindergarten. And you Renee? guys are, no, Alex. I'll be Alex, yeah. right? Do we, how do I, what is Alex? Um, is he higher than Joe and I, or are we kind of all, is it just neck and neck? Just for years, okay. I mean, I've known him for 40 Plus years, so he might be one. You're probably one. One. He's one A. You're probably one B. Just depends. I, you know, and one of the things that's been great is I'm in the race. All the stuff that I've gone through in my life since we've been out of the academy. You know, you've been the first person I've told on many, many things, and yep. um, that uh, you've been a rock. And one of the things I think that, I, and I don't know if I told you this, probably the best stuff that I've gotten from our friendship is. A lot of your uh, spiritual um, presence and and guidance. Not that I've been there. It's just one of those things that uh, you, you've been a rock. Um, you know, I, one of the when I we were in the academy, probably a month in. I just moved up here. I didn't have shit. And uh, you had a VW Rabbit. No, it was a, it, yeah. We were going to uh, Adairs for the first time, and uh, Webb was. I don't know how many of y'all know this. Webb used to play bass in this band called the Front Porch Boys. And uh, I remember it was a Friday, 
he came up to me and he said, hey, uh, I'm in this band. I got to get out of it because we're in the academy and they probably wouldn't have liked us to know that you were playing in the band. And we went up there and I remember we parked in the back of Aders. I might have met you at your apartment. We were walking in and there's how much we didn't know each other. I had this uh, windbreaker on that I had from the softball team. And in the cab, we just know everybody by last names, you know, Aguilar, Webb, King, yeah. or whatever. And uh, I remember walking in, and you grabbed my jacket, and you're like, okay, yeah, it's Randy. And then, <laughs> Never been and, you know, names. and it was it was funny. And then, you know, then I just fell in love with Aders, and then we were pretty much there all the time in the academy. So, I mean, it's, I mean, I could go on and on. We can have, I know we got other stuff we got to get to, but um, from a divorce, an arrest, and firing that I've been through, um, you know, he's been someone there that's been helped me out and, uh, been a rock and, you know, kept me spiritually sane and mentally sane and that I don't know if I'd still be here, uh, working the DPA or doing what I'm doing now, but, um, I'm, I'm glad that I've, that our friendship is, is what it is. He see me at my best and he see me at my worst for sure. Hey, Chris, I wanted to, <clears throat> glad you guys had a reunion here. <laughs> <laughs> love fest yeah 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 i got we got four more to go are so. y'all holding hands no, yeah. well I'm, I'm watching <laughs> i'm watching making sure they're not going on their secret uh dinner yeah. so. they might be holding hands. Yeah. Yeah, no we're i think we're good right now <laughs> hey i wanted to uh jump forward i know where uh i i met you was in uh swat and we came over pretty close about the same time correct yeah same time there's yeah. it was uh 07 had the privilege of going through uh, dance classes about three or four times and then taking advantage of dance classes and the amount of ammo. About, and about two more. Yeah. Um, you want to roll into your, uh, your uh, SWAT career a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I was, uh, I'd moved to Northeast and give in a, in Randy and I were running around up there and Scott McDonald finally got over to SWAT. Scott was in our class and he was a blue blood. I mean, his dad was a commander. They called him the commander. Uh, so Scott was just, it was just in his blood. And so Scott got over there and, and he and I were actually running a bunch. We were training for a marathon and, and he kept coming and he kept, Chris, you can do this. I mean, you need to be there. I'm like, man, I'm not, that's not who I am. He goes, no, you were better than half the people there. And I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not Kelvin size. You know, I thought everybody had to be big. How big a boy are you? I wasn't that guy. And he goes, no, no, it's so much more than that. And so Scott really believed in me and, and started planting that seed. And of course, who wouldn't want to try? Um, and so I started applying, you know, and the backstory on that, that y'all all know is it, it took me two, two years of trying to finally get picked up. I went through eight testing processes. I was doing more PT tests than the guys on the and girls on the team. Uh, in fact, the last time I interviewed, I, I had an interview with the same three sergeants and two weeks later I had an interview with the same three sergeants and Vince Lee rolls into the questions and he reads the exact same first question that he had read two weeks before. And I started to answer it. And I'm like, look, I, if it's going to be this, I'll just leave. Cause clearly my answers aren't working. So, uh, and we just started talking. And, uh, so, and then when they, you know, when they picked 11, I guess that's, I needed the extra numbers. So I finally got over, uh, I didn't really believe I belonged there to be honest with you. I just didn't know, but I'd, I've been told a couple times over that two years that I was the pick only to be told I wasn't the pick. And this, this, at the time, the sergeant, who later became one of our lieutenants, he had been an operator, he'd, he'd been a sergeant over there, he'd been a lieutenant over there. He, he was the one that kept calling me. And finally, the last time, I think it was the third time, he said, you can get pissed, nobody would be mad, and just never try again, or you can just keep trying. 
and it was really a, that that decision once that disappointment wore off i'm like man i'm just gonna keep trying i'm gonna be a pain in their ass i'm gonna just keep coming and keep coming and and i got and i and quite honestly i wasn't prepared i wasn't ready and and um I wasn't the best version that I could be. And, but as I kept doing it, I got better, better and better. And there was a lot of life things going on around me too. I mean, I, I, I had kids, I, I moved, my father-in-law died all in that two year period that I couldn't devote a hundred percent of time to SWAT and those things. So I'm very grateful that it, when it didn't happen until it happened, because once it happened, the family was settled at the house and I could really pour myself into what it, you know, what SWAT was and, and it was so much more than I thought it was. Yeah, it's funny you say that because, you know, there's a, there's a divine path I think we, we uh, take if you believe in that and, you know, your, your time to be picked for something is, you know, usually not on your time. It's yeah. always on someone else's time. Um, and I, I have a secret. I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but when I went back over there as a sergeant, I went through our files that had like a, uh, the interviews of people for the last 30 years over there. I mean, it had stuff in there from like the nineties. Mine was probably the <laughs> thickest packet. And, uh, well, I found these interview packets and that's when they used to take a picture with the Polaroid, I guess. And there was yep. a picture of young Scott McDonald with hair. young Rob Hamilton and a young Chris Webb. <laughs> I held that over Scott's head for a while. Yeah. yeah I can uh, imagine. I showed Rob. He didn't really care. I was like, well, Chris isn't going to care either, but Rob looked exact. Rob looks exactly the same. He's just got gray in his hair now. <laughs> And more tattoos. Yeah. Well, I got out of there just in time. I'd be covered up in them. What team did you go to? Well, I went to the best team in the SWAT team, actually. <laughs> and, and again, I you said something, and I, and I want to point out, I, I, I'm a believer. I, I, I think police work's a calling. I think that's the only way we survive in this. We're supposed to be here. People who are out there right now, you're there for a reason. And some people get through that probably shouldn't be police. And maybe they get in, maybe they get out, maybe they don't. But majority of the people in this job that, that truly love this job that are here to serve people, that's a calling. And it's the only way we survive it. It's because, and for me, I believe that God put me in these positions when I was ready, when, when he knew I was ready. It's never when you want to do it. It's, but, it but if you stay faithful and obedient, you're going to get there eventually for most things. And, and I didn't take those. I mean, it hurt. It's a, it's a gut punch to be told no. And you just keep like, man, I, I Am I not? You start to question, but um, but I actually grew so much in those no's, and it made me a better person to work through it. And so I got to come over to the to the tens, um, which was Misty. <laughs> I mean, listen to this hardcore group: I had JT Curtis, Scott McDonald, Misty Van Curen, KJ. Alex came with me. Alex Steam. Am I missing somebody? That's it, right? We were small back then because we had so many different. Yeah, that was it. We only had eight. Eight times. Yeah, did I, did I leave one out? No, that was it. Who was the sergeant? It, it doesn't matter. It would, it, it, you know, because um, you really, you're really with the, the the team is the team. That's your group. Um, so we went, uh, and and it was funny because JT lived unbeknownst to us. We we li we were a mile away from each other where we lived, and so which was great because it the the range was between central and home. And so any of those days where we didn't have anything going on, I went to the range. I was expected to go to the range. Um, I spent that first year, I didn't take one day off other than the required holidays. I didn't take a day. I didn't burn a day that first year, um, which was funny because at the end of the year, like, 
Well, I took the holidays, so I took all those, but I didn't burn a day the first year because um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to miss anything. I'm sorry, I did burn one day. It was right after. It was in June because I had a family vacation plan. I do remember that. But other than that, I I wanted to be there. I wanted to learn. I wanted to get better. And I realized when I got over there, yeah, okay, you're okay, but there's so much more to do um, to learn. And I and of course I was in fear that last in first out which was always held over our heads that first couple of years. So I took on every spot that my squad needed. I, I, they needed a sniper. I got put into that. Um, me and Alex, and that's like putting out, that's like a, Alex, he was not a sniper. He was an, he's an entry guy, right? But we, we needed snipers. So that was the square peg and around round hole. Um, so when Alex and I both did that, if they needed, you know, if whatever needed to be done, I wanted to get as much as I could to make it harder to get rid of me. Uh, and I lived under that fear of last in, first out for probably the first five years because I just kept being like, it's not going to be real. They're, I finally got here. They're going to run me out. I just, I know it. I know it. You had a motto. <laughs> uh, it was a really good one, too. Yeah. A it, really it, highly motivated and you motto. Just, you actually just said it. And it you I know giggled. what? If it sucks, if it we'll, sucks do it. we'll do it. If it sucks, <laughs> we'll do it. Man, I tell you, and, and it's so funny. Um, that. I live, I still have that. Like I was doing something sucky down. I was doing something the other day that was whooping my ass. I was trying to put some electric line under a trailer and I was, and it, and it was night and it was a 7,000 degrees and I wanted to quit. And I was, I was, God and I were having it out under that trailer down at the farm. And, and I, but I, I laughed. I'm like, I, like what, it has to be done. And, and I started learning that, I think in college that you just can't stop. And I, but I, it really, moved when i got on the swat there's no we're it this is all there is you no matter what it is it sucks yeah it sucks but bitching about it's not going to help and you just learn to push through it and and you keep going and i and and i tr you know how do you take that you know i'm trying i'm poor my poor kids man i i try to ram that down them and it took me a long time to get there you know it took me to get in my 30s to finally really grasp that and i'm sitting there trying to force that down into you know 12 year olds <laughs> Hit the in the basketball court. I'm like, I know it sucks. You got to get back out there and keep doing it. And I'm like, oh, that's not. Maybe it's not time for that. So we we were the Thundercats, the Tens, and that was a it was a, that was probably one of my most fun. I mean, that was my most fun time on SWAT because it was new and it was, and I loved my team and we worked out and and when Misty Van Curen is making your workouts, you can't quit. Uh, and it's the best shape I've ever been in my life. And man, we had some fun. How about that first week? So there's something to be said for riding three man. <laughs> so, so Chris Scott and I pile in the Crown Vic and we get sent out to Tag Beats where there's high crime area. Did we? Was that the day we we all wore our Class A hats too? Remember, because we wanted to get in a foot chase wearing our Class A hat because we never had. We, that might not have been that we time. We didn't have Class A hats. Okay. On okay. The, but we were sent out to the Tag Beats, and of course. The three of us run across a stolen car that's, of course, going to run. And so, and the guy bails. And Scott and I <laughs> bail out of the car. And we're going over fences. And we go two streets down. And here comes Webb screeching up in the Crown Vic. And I see him jump out, highly motivated, of course. <laughs> I have fresh legs. Fresh legs. Fresh, I have legs. fresh legs. And so he takes off on the foot chase, catches the guy, and I'm thrilled because I'm way too old to be bailing out of cars going over fences. You were younger than me. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but you had fresh legs. Fresh legs. Fresh legs. Oh, we had some fun. 
We had a lot of fun. My first day, my first day was a training day, and Scott told me to be there at eight. And I was coming from the town I live in, which is to the west. And he told me to be there at eight. It didn't actually start till ten. And thank God he told me to be there at eight because I got caught in all that rush hour traffic. And we go up over here by Love Field, and my first role, Stan Chambers and I, are downed officers in a in a training exercise and i mean i don't know jt i i know missy from the jail i know who she is i know scott i don't know kj i don't know i mean stan and i knew each other a little bit from southwest and and i just remember that here comes my squad and jt curtis picks me up like a bag of potatoes and just throws me over his shoulder to, to get me out and i'm like and I'm, he's running down the hall and i'm bouncing I'm like what in the hell have I gotten myself into? <laughs> what is this? It's awesome, but this is weird. Yeah, that was my first day. That was awesome. You had no idea a cowboy picked you up, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> I found out, though, for sure. And, and JT being my, my neighbor, you know, it, that was a bond that, man, I so appreciated uh, his friendship and his mentorship. And, and it was different because we were with each other. I mean, we're, we're all, when those squads, I mean, you were with each other all the time. I mean, JT, at my, we were 1087, the lights were going out a little bit on the way home. We used to follow each other because we were going literally the same place. And he, he's, he called me and said, hey, man, your lights are looking dim. I'm like, yeah, they're pretty dim. Well, the next day, the, the Crown Vic wouldn't start. I said, JT, man, I got to get a wrecker. He goes, nah, 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 nah. He comes over, and he literally bumper pushed me from my house in, in out west, down I-30, 28 miles. <laughs> To Central Patrol. <laughs> That's a real Just, cowboy. Yeah, I mean, he took care of that. So, uh, uh, yeah. Chris, you and I talked for like two hours the other day, and I wish I had been recording that. Um, you really don't believe that you've been in critical incidents, like like a like great events. Even though you were you were there for uh, for seven seven, you were there for that crazy atmos. Uh, explosion, that gas explosion. Oh, yeah. uh, I want to talk about an incident in June of 2007 mm -hmm. in the 5800 block of Martell. In Misty's episode, she talked about it because she was there. She uh, she laid the explosives and she and she touched on it and um, and we got her perspective. And the Lieutenant Bob Owens also spoke on it. I have had so many people that I don't even, some people I don't even know, message me on, on these social media uh, that we've created asking about that incident, and they have never heard of it. I remember it vaguely when it happened, but, it, you know, it, it's kind of shined a light on it now. And you and I talked the other day. I, I, did, not, I did not know your involvement. And, and after you told me, I mean, it... I am sorry that somebody I know has to live with that. And I wanted you to talk about it, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, How long were you in SWAT when that happened? Six months. Okay. It was my sixth. Like, right, I mean, I think I just got patched in, like, right around there. Um, you know, late night call out, Channel One, <clears throat> barricaded person thing. Um, you know, hauling ass from, from home. And uh, get there, and I end up, it's an apartment complex. It's a second-floor apartment complex. Uh, the seaside, the backside, opened up to the north, which was uh, Martell. Um, and so there was, you know, a lot of space there. You could see the back windows, the, the 
second floor balcony, and I ended up back there on that team. That was, um, I think it was JT and Lee Allen was back there. Scotty McIntyre was driving the APC. My sergeant was in the front seat. Uh, Joe Guzman was back there functioning as a as a the seaside negotiator. I don't, I think, I think he was seaside negotiator. I don't know who was doing the main negotiating on it. I don't remember. Uh, Stan Chambers, I know, was back there, and I don't remember who else was back there. Um, so we're back there, and, you know, it's six months in. I've been to a lot of call-outs. It just seems like another call-out. And then something, something was said on the radio, and, and I remember JT's demeanor completely changed. And he said, this is a real deal. And I didn't know what a real deal was, but I had, a, I had an inkling. You know, I was like, okay, so this is different. Um, and so, you know, you, Matt Bain said something about July 7th, and I, I, don't, and I want to preface it. This is my story about what I remember and what I saw and what I felt and what I knew. I didn't know what was going on in the front. I had no idea to know because the sergeant's talking on the phone, plans are being laid, and you never do. You throw out what you think, you know, I, you know, you, the senior officers will tell their sergeants, hey, here's some things we can do. They talk to each other on the phone, command post is involved. You're a seaside cover guy. You're not, you're not hearing any of that stuff. You, you, but the plan will be known and, and it'll be laid out. So I don't know what all they're talking about in the front. And um, <clears throat> so uh, the plan, this, this assault plan is getting put together. And uh, the plan was in the back that uh, three of us were going to go up on the second floor balcony, um, a cover for the, for the windows, which was going to be Lee Allen. And then JT and I, and JT was the hard cover on a port and cover. He was the cover. I was the pouring it out. That was the plan. Cool. Um, and I'll stop right there and say Martel was a complete and utter failure on our part. We, 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 we lost the most important role that we have we failed at, which is to save that kid. Um, and the problem I have with it is we didn't use everything at our uh, everything that we had we didn't use. Um, we didn't know that he had barricaded behind the door. If we had known that, that would have changed the charge that y'all put on. It might have even had us do something different. We had ways to know that. We have camera that we could have used that could have got eyes in and we would have known it. We didn't use it, right? Um, there's some things we didn't do that we should have done. Uh, explosive breaching was still very new in our department at that time. Jude Braun brought, you know, you got to have Jude Braun on this. Jude Braun is, well, I, I, that could go for hours talking about Jude Braun, but Jude, it was very young. Uh, explosive breaching was very new. We weren't really doing um, simultaneous breaches at the time either. So the idea of coming through two doors or something was, was still kind of new. Um, and so we, we didn't do everything I think that we could have to prep us for success. Um, and in a hostage rescue, there's a, there's a matrix, there's a hierarchy of, of, you know, who's important here. Number one is, is your, is your hostage, right? And then, and then the list way down at the bottom, just above the suspect is, is a SWAT operator, right? And I think we got, we got confused on that. I think that's one of the things that got jumbled up. They wouldn't, we wanted to go covert, get up on that balcony and be at that window the minute the team blew the front door and they didn't let us do that. So the solution was we're standing on the ground. <clears throat> we hung a ladder, a flat ladder on the wood uh, fence on that second floor. And we, the idea was we were going to come one at a time up on the APC, up the ladder, and then to our positions. Oh, and then we had to, we had to do that on top of a bang. So we were throwing a bang after the door uh, blew going up on behind that bang. Um, so 
So the, the plan to put us on that window was absolutely correct. The failure was the timing. And they didn't let us go up there early because they didn't want us to get hurt, to get shot. Um, maybe a little bit too that we didn't, they didn't want us to make noise to cause him to do something, but, but JT's at the window. Well, okay. So the plan goes into action. And I remember Lee Allen went first, JT second, me with the pole third. And as I'm throwing my leg over that balcony, I start hearing shots. And this is after the door went off. I start hearing shots. And I, I remember hearing the first shot, which was a, a random shot. I think at the entry team, I think he shot at the entry team with his pistol. Um, and then I'm throwing my leg over and as I'm moving towards the window, I start hearing multiple shots and it's, it's quick pop, pop, and then a pop and then a pop, pop. And that second two, the last two, I guess it was five and six were completely different sounds. I'm like, that's us. So I'm at the window and I'm hearing those and I'm opening that window for JT and right at the base of the window where JT is on the outside looking in is the body of this child and he and I, i'll let jt say what he saw i know that inside that room there's the body right there right where we were right where we needed to be but we weren't there at the right time and i just remember the chaos that was going on i could hear it i, I heard a guy just screaming and pardon turn your turn it down if you got kids just fuck 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 like totally uh ineffective i can't do anything just there's a loop of just just i don't know what that i don't know what's going on there i don't but i hear jt say give me the baby and it woke me up and i went okay they're gonna hand him somebody i need to get into position to receive him so i i started to jump over the balcony and i was going to straddle the balcony and the apc and the next thing i know i'm staring at my feet and i'm falling and i'm like i have put myself into the problem I've, I, what have I done? And I fall and I hit dead center on my back on the downstairs railing, which thank God it wasn't wrought iron. It was two by fours and, and it's fine. I have my helmet, my vest. The only thing that wasn't protected was my tailbone, uh, which I figured out later. But I remember JT, as I, as I hit, I got, I got to get back up. And so as I'm climbing back up, JT turns and looks down at me with this face of such disappointment, like, I need you up here. And I didn't have time to explain to him. Yeah, but see, what happened was I had fallen. I just got up. And he hands me this, this child. And the, um, when he handed me the child, I was like, oh, we're good. Because the head's together. Because in the six months of hostage training I had, every hostage rescue training I had, the bad guy had a gun at the, at the good guy's head, and he's hiding behind it. The worst case scenario for an entry team, right? I got a good guy in front of me and the bad guy. And so and to me, if it's a dead hostage, the head's gone because he's shot him in the head. So that gives me this body. And I noticed the arms are dangling and the feet are dangling, but his head's together. I'm like, well, this is all good, except for he's this color that I've never seen before. It's like gray. It's this weird gray color. I'm like, huh. So I take him and the mind, as you all know, as all the listeners know, your mind does amazing things under stress and it thinks of things and it, and some of them don't even make sense. And my mind, I had to, as fast as I could get to that little sliver of grass between the sidewalk and the curb out Martel. So when the ambulance pulled up, he's ready to go, right? That didn't make sense, but that's what I had to do. And I jumped off of the top of the APC to the hood of the APC. And there's this sound I'd never heard before in my entire life came out of his body. And I don't know, I, I'd never heard it. It was just this gurgle. 
And uh, then I jump down in the grass and I run over and I lay him down and I'm still confused because his head's together, but I don't understand why he's gray. And then Joe Guzman walked up and pulls his t-shirt up and I'm, there's just two little double taps on that little body and it, and it, and then I freak out because I don't like to, anybody that knows a gunshot to the chest, compressions, they're not going to do anything. I mean, the heart, he hit him in the heart, but I, 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 and I'm like, I don't know how to do CPR on my own child. And in that moment, it's so weird. I saw my son because here's this little boy who's about two years older than my kids at the time. And I, and I kind of was like in this, Oh, what the hell? What am I? I don't, ambulance pulls up, pick him up. I give him to the ambulance drivers and they go and they put this little body on this gurney. It's made for an adult. And there's these two huge firemen going to town, working on him. And I'm just standing there. And I just see those little feet, those little bitty feet. And I'm like, oh, shit, what, what, what did I just see? And, and then it hit me, started hitting me, because I turned and I started looking for, for my, my people, right? And I look at JT, but it's not JT. I mean, it's not. It's not the guy that I know. And then I, and I'm, and I look at, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to react. I don't, I've never been in this situation before. And, um, you know, it, it. There's not been a bigger, well, I say that. That was the biggest change for me. It's the biggest thing I'd been involved in. I've been involved in a lot of crap, but this thing, it, it, I, was, I, I was clueless. Uh, I ended up, they made me go to the hospital because then the journal wore off. I could, couldn't barely walk. Um, and then I went out of town the next day on a family trip that was planned, so I didn't even get to be around my team, which was, which was bad and good because they also debriefed that event while I was gone and Misty was there. And, um, man, you don't come into that room after that loss and try to blow smoke up their ass and say, that was a successful mission. You just, nothing you could do. And, 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 and I know, when I heard that, I can't imagine being there. You were there with that debrief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, but so, so, so a couple of things, um, that was my why. That became my why. Before that, I wanted to be on SWAT, probably more for an ego thing, for something I didn't even know. But from that moment forward, that was my why. That's why I got up to go to work every day. That's why I, I stuck in those workouts with Misty when I, when I hurt. That's why I went to the range every day. And, and how many times we trained second floor dual entry assaults on hostage rescue. I, I, it was we, we, we even built a totally sketchy ramp that Tom Seibel found, got us built with a single post in the middle because I swore to myself when I looked at that body on that gurney, I said, I can't be here and have that happen again. I don't know that I, I don't know that I can handle it. Um, and that changed my perspective. Now, something interesting happened a month later, July, it was July 30th on Lomax on channel three up there by Skyline, hostage rescue, guy kidnapped a, an infant that wasn't even his. And, and you're like, I mean, we're still reeling from this other thing. And we got there pretty quick. Misty was there. Scott was there. I was there. I don't remember who else was there. Um, kind of had a hasty emergency assault team together. And, and we got to the near the front door and it was tactically really bad because he had a really bright light by the front door and there was nowhere we could get. And so we were sneaky, sneaky pooing up to try to kill that light. And he, and the guy opened the door, Misty, tased him and I think he ripped him out or he just slammed the door and it ripped him out. He had on a puffy 
one of those really puffy jackets. So it and really didn't get him. So we didn't get a good, he pulled on it, but it didn't get a good contact either. And he shook him, and we just barged him. Yeah, we, we, well, he slammed the door, and, and Scott screaming, Slammer reminded me that I had a job because I, I think I was light bulb guy too. So we slammed the door, successful deal. Guy, bad guy gets arrested, baby's fine, and we never spoke about it again. We never talk about Lomax because we did what we were supposed to do. And all we talked about, and we, and I think we still talk about, was that, that, that loss. It deeply affected a whole lot of people. Everybody, you know, really good humans who try to do really good things were, were deeply affected by that. Go jump in. Yeah, it's your, it's your deal. Your deal. I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, yeah, with so where I'm at in my career right now, looking back at that, I remember doing that debrief because we all got in there, and that's when we had a particular chief. We had an administration that was over us that was not supportive. Uh, those were horrible times for us, just especially just getting over there. I know for you guys that have been there for quite some time, that was a horrible, horrible time. That bullshit about lifo, 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 lifo. It wasn't anything wasn't important to anybody else but the patrol work that we were not functioned to do at the time. And uh, hearing this hurts. I wasn't there, but I know you're hurt. I know you still feel it. I know everybody feels it because we've talked about it before in the past. And the one thing I would say is this being a platform, and I hate to do it, but if there's any administrators or leaders out there that are over a SWAT team, this is not only a complete failure on the part of allowing people to decompress and and uh, talk about these type of things. But the whole premise of this was that it was a success because none of the officers were hurt. You can't go into a room with police officers, uh, no matter what their status is or role on a police department, and tell somebody that they were part of a, of a situation as such, and that's the only thing that you can come in there and say, and that's the only thing that you can provide for somebody is that right there. And that still to this day pisses me off. As a matter of fact, that my sadness and pain just turned to anger when I started hearing all that. And it's it's very frustrating, uh, especially to see how many years are we into this now. This is this is something, I mean, you guys were there. You'll never forget. I will never forget. 14 years. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I wasn't there. And uh, it's very frustrating to, to see that. And... Um, yeah, I just wish that people would hear that. We do such a good job of putting people in positions, especially administrative or leadership positions, over special units such as SWAT who are not capable and not credible enough to take care of that. I knew we were at a turning point in the cusp. 2008 changed something for that, and uh, things began to, to go in a different direction. But still, it's, it's a roller coaster ride in those divisions, in those operational platforms. It's up and down, up and down, based on whoever's in there and whatever their damn opinion is. And they don't listen to the people below them. They don't take the credit for that. We were very fortunate past that that we had chiefs and, a, and some lieutenants that were very supportive of us. But people fail to realize that the pinnacle of a SWAT officer's career is a hostage rescue. That is what you train for. Not to say that the others are platforms for training, but because uh, we take those as real as real can be. But the other <clears throat> piece of that is that, uh, you know, the, the, the priority life that Chris was talking about you know, it starts at the hostage. It goes to the innocent bystander. They even put the suspect above us. Well, we put the police officer above us, the, the uh, p patrol officer, somebody who's not in SWAT. And we put the suspect above, you know, and then below us is going to be property, right? So with that premise and mindset, 
that is where it stands, and that's the mindset of a SWAT officer when they go into those situations. So I uh, didn't mean to jump in on a bandwagon, no, but Misty, I mean, you were. I think that was. You got anything? Martell would have been Martell would have been solved if if we if we had that that if Lee Allen and 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 uh, JT and I were able to get up there at the at the beginning of the assault because JT would have faced that man coming in the room, and I would have put my money on JT in that scenario. All, you know, all day long, we we win, and that boy is saved. Um, you know, he he'd shot at his wife and daughter earlier. They got they escaped, um, and you know, one of the frustrating things is, uh, you know, she. Can you imagine losing your child? No. no. And and saving one, but not being able to save both. And then and the problem, another problem I had, and I think the one of the reasons it didn't get more publicity was, man, it was just some. Spanish-speaking poor people, right? And they didn't, so the news didn't, and it, that frustrated me. I mean, how is this not talked about for days? And and um, the guilt that that team had of fail, knowing that we failed these these people, and you know, God, it's just it. it well, it, it shaped a lot of lives, and it shaped a lot of training, and it shaped a lot of mindsets, and and. I mean, it became my why every day. Why? Why do I do this? Because I can't be a part of something and have that happen again. You know, and I mean, you said something about being involved in critical incidences. I, I, you know, I, I'm blessed. I, I was a cop for twenty and something here in Dallas, and I was a pretty active officer. Um, I was on a big, big time. I mean, we did over a thousand operations on my little side of the house on SWAT. I never had to pull the trigger. I was there when it happened. I got shot at. We all got shot at a bunch. Um, I'm blessed. I never had to pull the trigger. Um, so, uh, I, I feel lucky, you know, people don't think with all the stuff going on. I mean, we have, we didn't have that many shootings at all in, on the A unit side. Um, I mean, I guess if you combine them, there's more, but just on the A unit side, I think it's four or five shootings. And, and, and what you don't see, what people don't know is, man, when we, when we have to pull the trigger, we're looking at how did we screw up? Did, what did we do wrong that we had to do that? Because, I mean, we've been shot at and didn't have to shoot. You know, we had good equipment, armored cars. Um, and if, if something has happened, we're looking at what, what could we have done differently so that doesn't become the outcome. Because when you're dealing with people in crisis, you know, they're making very irrational decisions. And um, some of them are just bad people, but not all of them. They're just in a bad time. And it, it, it bothers us. Uh, immensely when there's a when when we don't when we have to take a life that's also a teammate doing that and uh there's repercussions no matter how justified it is i mean it it, it there's repercussions mentally and um and i i didn't do that i didn't have to do that but i walked through that with some people and i watched what it happens and it's not good for the home it's not good even amongst the crew you know it it those things for a loop so uh People don't people don't understand why training is so important, especially for a SWAT team, and and it's for that. It's exactly why it's important because you don't want to have to deal with that. You know, I was I, I I said something to a chief that was speaking to us one day about. Actually, it was when we were going to evenings for uh, for uh, crime suppression deal in 2016, which is what actually broke me. Um, he, he said something about we're all police. And it pissed me off so bad. I said, yeah, but you're not asking that patrol officer to run into that house where that kid's being held hostage. You're asking me to do that. 
you're not asking you to do that. You're not asking patrol guy. Yeah, we know. We can answer calls. We know how to do that. We're, we're all team players. But, but you can't sacrifice our training time to go sit on a tag beat, not even have a plan, and take away from our ability to go do the things that you're not going to want to do and you're going to ask us to do. And it, and it makes me so frustrated um, to, to the way they, they – they, and, and honestly, we're not always great about it when we do our training time. Some we got guys that will just disappear or they don't and, – and that's on us, and we, we self-police that. But, but when an administrative person looks at that and says, well, you're all cops. Yeah, you're right. We are all cops, and I do not mind go. – I'll go chase dope today. I love it. If you know what 3599-0014 is, you know what I'm talking about, and we'll go right now. We'll go get a dope arrest. But but if it's part of the mission, but don't take away from the, the training time that we need so that we can have higher chances of success in the missions you're going to ask us to do. I think that's another – I think that was another time, too, that uh, that's when we were told that uh, our SWAT stuff was on our own time. And yeah. we and we did that. We came in for crime suppression for eight <laughs> hours, and then we did our SWAT stuff for stuff out, another yeah. four or five yeah. daily. Yeah. I still remember July 7th, we were qualifying with our rifles that morning. So we'd all been out at the range since 9 a.m. in the 100-degree weather that day. And we were there till I don't know, I don't think we went home till 7.30 the next morning and then turned right around to do 24-hour coverage of a chief, you know, with – no, no or, care in the or, world. But the only difference is, is because we would do it. Or a pool party at the end. The right. sucks will do it. Yeah, if it's exactly. such a deal. I mean, it, yeah. goes, it goes right back to it, right? Yeah. The yeah. only reason why we succeeded in that other operation was because of who we are, right? Because our training time had been sucked away. Our mm -hmm. lives had been sucked away, and it's only just people just don't see that. I'm not going to turn it into that piece there, Chris. But. <laughs> yeah, let's have a pool party during the middle of all these funerals and pizza make party. the SWAT team. Yeah, it's pizza slash pool party and make all the SWAT guys work security for that after a funeral and with a funeral tomorrow. Oh, and they've all been at work for 18 straight for – Three weeks in a row. That's a great idea. It's awesome. It sucks. We'll do it. <laughs> so after talking about these incidents, Chris, uh, especially this one, I know I talked to you the other morning as well. We kind of briefly touched on, uh, you know, your interest in a nonprofit, something that you had an interest in, and which would tie us over into the uh, counseling piece. I know it's it's becoming less of a stigma now, yeah. but to have something there. Um, what do you uh what have you done in order to so so to cope with that yeah when i left when i left uh, i left in 2017 i thought i was done i really thought i was completely done with law enforcement um i thought uh and and it was kind of the perfect storm and when i look back on it, it it's god's way of pulling me out of dallas right he, he during that crime suppression in 2016 where they Chief Brown put us on evenings. I didn't see my kids, and that's that's how you break me. You take me away from my kids. They were at school. We were. It was actually school was still going on. We were working evenings. I might have seen them in the morning if I had got home at a decent hour and I could actually wake up. Um, so it was hard on the family. You know, it's a very SWAT work is a selfless job to the families. It's a very selfish job for the operator. We don't pay the price for 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 what it is to be on call and all that we do. The families that stay home, they're the ones that, that pay the price. And um, so between between Ferguson and realizing that, you know, you can do the right thing and still have to quit your job and go into hiding, well, I didn't have that luxury. Um, my wife has a good job, my kids, I'm not leaving. Then to them taking my ability to see my kids away by working evenings with no mission plan. Literally told you, just go up there and hang out. Well. I, that's the worst thing you could tell us, right? 
all that led me to, uh, and, and some guys came to me with a business opportunity that I got invested in, which was great. Turned out fine. Um, I thought I'd go work there. So I left, quickly found out I didn't want to do that, and did crunch the numbers. And my wife, I said, Rainy, I think I can stay home for a little bit. And Rainy said, um, she said, okay, yeah, let's do that. And I go, well, how long? And she goes, you'll know. Just go till you, till you know. And she's got a good job and had my pension coming. So my poor kids, man, it was her sixth grade year. I drove them to school every day. I picked them up every day, and I was all up in their business. They, you know, you know, how sixth grade is. It's a big year. So I was, a, I was a school mom. I, I played a lot of golf, and uh, and then when school, when when their next year started, I had a friend that asked me to run a company for him that he was buying, and so I went to work for the owners to learn the job, and that gave me a lot of alone time. Uh, and right around that time, there was two significant suicides of retired DPD officers who I had a personal relationship with. Now, that, I'm not saying we were best friends, but, but you know, Randy and I had worked around uh, one uh, down in Oak Cliff, and we, he, he always loved us and, uh, because we rained down there in his beat during an assist, and, and we were the first ones there from the station. And ever since then, he was, we were like, we, he loved us. And there was another fellow up at Northeast, and then there was a female officer that I also knew at Northeast that, that was close to her retirement and had committed suicide. First comment here. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, so that, that bothered me. Um, and, you know, when you, when you, one of the things when you retire, I made a very big point, and make sure I stay on point here, but I made a very big point that Dallas SWAT was not who I was because I, I had living examples of people who had done that and I was watching them trying to mend relationships with their children. And I was like, I can't, I can't be that person. But what I didn't realize when I walked away was how big just being a Dallas cop was about who I was. And that caught me off guard. Um, I have always loved being a Dallas policeman. I love our badge. I love our, our pat. I'm so proud of that patch. I'm so proud of being this because it's this thing it's this entity that i am and, and you can talk about how it's all gone to crap and you know every old head we met you need to get out of here you know it's and man i've never not liked it now there's days i hated it but i've never not loved and not been proud of it so when i was gone i i really struggled i didn't i i was kind of lost man i got fat uh i was eating everything inside i, I didn't have a routine um when the newness of when the newness of of retirement had worn off after the kids had finished school, because I was still pretty active, that's when it got got kind of hard. And I started working this other job, trying to learn this job, and I was I was in a rut, man. And I was drinking, you know. I I always drank. I've been drinking since I was fifteen. Ooh, don't my kids might listen to this. You might want to cut that. But um, <laughs> I've been drinking a long time, and I was a social drinker, a happy kid. You know, I was always a happy guy. Um, but somewhere along the way, that drinking sometimes would evolve into something else. And it was never to forget. It was actually, I think, I drank to get in that, that, that sweet spot where I still have my rose-colored gla glasses back. I was that old Weber that's fun that didn't have a care in the world. I missed that kid because that kid died, right? It, 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 this job robs you. There's pieces of you that die in this job over time. And it's not necessarily bad because I, I, the world's a beautiful place. It really is, man. It, there's so much love and you can... It's a great place, but when you work this job on the streets, you know, the firefighters know this, paramedics know this, heck, the, the MEs know this, the guys that come and pick the bodies up know this. Man, there's a, such a fine line between this beauty of what life is and friendships and love and then just kicking those rocks over like 
Bain says, and, and you, the reality is, man, we live in a fallen, gross, horrible world too. And it is a really weird deal to balance in, in that. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm battling with all that as I've, as I've retired and I, and I, and I've got these, so I, I'm pissed because these people have killed themselves. And I said, man, what can I do? What can I do? And I wanted to, I, you know what? I could do these weekend retreats uh, to introduce people to counseling because that's what we obviously need. Because when I worked on the SWAT team, I had my therapy group. It was my squad, right? And they seen every, they stepped over everybody I stepped over. Um, but we, but I got, a, I got taken out, took myself out of that. I didn't have that anymore. And so uh, I wanted to do these retreats and I, and I um, actually talked to Tony Andahar. He gave me a book from Dr. Tanya Glenn um, who her whole practice has dealt with, with uh, first responders and it's called uh, First Responder Resilience. It's a $6.89 book and everybody needs to read it. She's actually agreed to come on eventually on, on this show. Fantastic. And so she actually from her. is also uh, my agency's uh, on-call doctor. So, so we actually met with her. Rain and I met with her, and um, we, we agreed that she was going to put together the, the counseling piece. And I really wanted this to be five-star, you know, waiting on hand and foot. I wanted to knock you out. And I, and I, I wanted to bring single officers in, you know, four or five small groups. And I was telling a friend about that, and, and they're like, oh, so you're going to use your, your police work and SWAT stuff. And that's going to get your foot in the door. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was saying, then you're going to stand up there and tell them how great counseling was for you. And I went, oh, I've never been to counseling. I have no idea what counseling is. I have zero idea. And she goes, you think that might be a problem? I was like, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, we set a date. for the, I set a date. I said, I got to set a date to get this thing going. So I set a date for April of 2020. So if you go back to March of 2020, the whole world stopped. And so I just I took the whole thing and put it on the shelf that I got hired in April uh, of 2020 with this agency. So it's not something I'm not doing. It's something I've just kind of put on hold. Uh, but, but through that um, and, and meeting with Dr. Glenn and reading her book, it should be required reading for every academy class. I read it in a day. And if you know me, that I can't read a pamphlet in an hour. So I, the, for me to be able to, and I'm like, I needed to know this before now. I needed to know this before now. And I went down and listened to her speak in Houston at the TMPA conference, which is how I ended up with this job, long story. But um, while I was down there, I went to, I wanted to see how people reacted to her. And it was, it was amazing, you know, room full of old head cops and young cops. And they had every, not one person was looking at their phone. They're all, I sat in the back. I was watching them more than I was watching her. And she had them, she had me. Because she knows our language. And so I'm so glad that she's coming on because it's going to be amazing. So I actually went to counseling uh, twice. And one of the things I went to was uh, this, this woman, they offer, what I read about, I asked about EMDR. And so I asked about EMDR uh, because I'd, I'd read about it in her book. And so I did it. And I don't have one, I mean, I know I talked about Martel, but there's a thousand other things. I mean, I had a woman try to, cut her own kid's eyeballs out, right? Succeeded on one because he interrupted. There's all kinds of crap. Well, you've all got it. We've all got these stories from patrol or from SWAT. You know, you get so numb to stepping over dead bodies. Y'all checked her? Yeah, she's dead. Okay, what do we got? You know? Um, I mean, we had four bodies in one night on two call-outs. One of them was with you, the guy that was going to kill himself. Oh, there in Carrollton? No, 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 no. No, no over off of the apartments on uh, Garland or Grand 
he said, bring the police so I can kill myself. Oh, that's right. yeah. And he waited, and we pulled up, and he looked at us, came and sat down. And, and I watched him shoot himself through that door. Yeah, Mar Marshall did, Milligan did. Yeah. I mean, we're, and we've got it. We pushed in on him. And, you know, so there's all these things. And I told her, I was like, I don't have one thing. I don't have one thing. I don't have to have anything. I just got a whole lot, a whole lot. Uh, and so she, she, we did the EMDR, and I, I was like, Doc, I don't think anything happened. She goes, hey, that's no big deal. It's great. And sometimes, it, and I went home and I told my wife, yeah, nothing really happened. And then I went to bed. I went to sleep. And man, I'm telling you, this wasn't your old school, you know, bullet doesn't come out the end of your gun, so you're slinging it, dream that I know we've all had. Yeah. Trigger don't work. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of people in their spot cars right now laughing, going, ah, I've had that same my dream. Bullets always stop short. Just Mine just fell, and so yeah. I, I like to try to sling them, you know? So I, I, I had, but that was not like this, man. It was so real, and it was intense. And it was there was it was a combination. I was mentoring some some young men over in my neighbor, you know, in my in my community, and they were involved in it. But it was also police work, and it was crazy. And it was, it was one of those things. I woke up, I didn't know what happened. I I, I literally thought it actually happened, um, and I'm like, what the heck just happened? And I told Rainy, and I, I'm like, oh, and and something moved in my brain. It moved something from one lobe to the other or it got filed correctly or something. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying I woke up the next day and all of a sudden my rose-colored glasses were back, but something was obviously moved in my brain. Some, it had a function. Um, something happened. So I called Doc. It's like, hey, something happened last night. I don't know. And I haven't been back, um, but it definitely, something, something changed. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, that EMDR. We actually have two counselors. The ATO uh, we provide the uh, free counseling to first responders, and Dottie Claggett and Melissa McLemore are are they specialize in it's EMDR. Fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 I I'm a true believer. I can't explain it. It seems like some kind of voodoo weird stuff happening to you. It's not. Um, and I would highly recommend if they if they suggest you try it, just try it. I mean, there's no big deal if it doesn't work, but it it something happened. And I've actually read a lot about it since then, and people talk about how it's how it's changed them, how it's worked. So I highly suggest that. So and then and so so I, here I am in this rut. I'm in this rut working for this company, and and I'm like, man, something's got to change. This is this is not who I am. I, I went on a bike trip with my son. I was out of shape. I, I don't want to be that guy, you know. And so I started. I'm a routine person. For me, mental for my mental health, I have to have a routine. And so um, I got back into the gym. I've been I've been more consistent than I've ever been before because I need it, not for physical fitness, but for mental fitness. I I know that's what I need to do. So started going to the gym. I gave up drinking, and I only say that because everybody that knew me, that was part of my personality. It was part of who I was. Everybody. I mean Weber. Uh, you know, he was my Weber and Masty. Yeah, Masty shows up sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Well, and it's funny. It's so funny. <laughs> Masty hadn't been out in a while. Well, Weber and Masty. Weber and Masty were a really bad combination. Yeah. We had a lieutenant that, Missy and I were together so much, we had a lieutenant that just quit calling us Chris and, and Missy and just made up a new name, Christy. And we're like, who the hell's Christy? And we finally realized he was actually just combined Chris and Misty and just started calling us Christy as one unit. Who was that? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Find out later. Catfish. Um, Cheetos. Get some, some kind of catfish? Catfish. Oh. Uh, look, here's the deal. If you've got a nickname that doesn't sound positive, it's because your guys don't really don't no, really like you that that's much. That's common sensical. That's common sense. <laughs> <laughs> so great. 
hey, I actually love that man. I think he's a great sector sergeant. I think he should have stayed at a sector sergeant. He was really good at being a sector sergeant. I, and I liked him. I've always liked him. I don't dislike many people. Just some people end up in places they don't need to end up. Uh, but I, I quit drinking, I don't know, it was like a year and a half ago. Um, because, I, I, like I said, I quit. I, I would find myself drinking that, that three or four became, well, it might be one beer. It might be no beers. And it could be 17. And I couldn't tell you when that, that was going to hit. And it became a mission. Like it was, it's almost like an animal inside of me. And so uh, I had kids about to start high school. It's very hard to, to, to preach about the dangers of alcohol when you got a beer in your hand. And so I, I actually, I had an incident where I, I, uh, I don't know if the statute of limitations is on that yet, but I, I made a foolish decision about alcohol and, and driving and I got home and I realized, man, I, I, this is ridiculous. And so the next day I, I brought my, my wife's gone. I brought my kids outside. I said, do I drink too much? And my son said, not at home, which was kind of a lie. He goes, but I've seen you drink too much out. And I, I go, tell me when. And he told me. And I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And I look at my daughter. She says, yeah, all the time, too much all the time. I'm like, okay, all right, enough of that. <laughs> um, so that was an eye-opening experience. Uh, and it's hard. And the only reason why I bring this up is if you're struggling with it, man, you don't have to stop. You don't have to stop. But maybe you just come back off it a little bit. Man, if you're drinking six beers a day, maybe go back, maybe try three today, you know? Because you can survive and, and life doesn't change. It actually kind of becomes clearer and a little bit better if you, if you, if you just slow down. Because, you know, how do we handle our stress? We drink it away, which puts stress on our relationships. Um, you know, we don't have to go very far to talk about how alcohol can affect your job. Um, you know, my best friend had my best friend lost his job over drinking. So, and and it, it how that wasn't a wake up call for me, I don't know. Uh, but but I got mine, and I need a I need a little bit of a border to help stop. I quit Copenhagen in two thousand and three because I was going to lose about fifteen hundred dollars if I took a dip, and I haven't touched it since. And so, I will encourage people um, if you're struggling with that, man, it, it, there is a there is another side, and you can do it. Uh, I'm not saying you have to stop altogether, but if you're struggling with it, man, call me. I'll, I'll talk to you about my, my my experience. You know what's funny about that? And you mentioned that. I haven't, I haven't drank in 19 months. Uh, and the funny thing is, is I drank since I was 17. And when I decided to quit drinking, yeah, I didn't start at 15. I think I may have had a drink around age 6. But uh, when you decide to stop drinking, the funny piece is, is that if you've known that as part of your personality, what was your nickname when you drank? Weber. Weber. And Masty? Masty. Masty. I don't like how you put the assy on it. <laughs> oh, there's nothing, there's nothing assy about you. Right. <laughs> but point being real quick is that, uh, yeah, people struggle with that, I think, because that's part of their identity. Yeah. And it becomes their identity. And, and when you try to take to it away. And giving it up. And right? when you take it away, it's like, who the hell am I going to be and who how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to But Chris is right. There is, a, there is a, uh, another side. And it's a whole and, lot better. And it's interesting, too. When I quit dipping Copenhagen, the first day back to work, Frederick Frazier was my partner that day, and he pops that can out. It's pop, pop. He goes, oh, man, do I need to quit, too? In front, can I dip in front? I'm like, dude, you didn't quit. I quit. Give me that can. I popped it. I, oh, it smells great. Here's your can back. You know? It's great. I still dream. Of, I have dreams all the time that I'm, I'm, oh, it's okay to take one. And I'm like, nah, 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 because it'll be a can a day. It'll be a can a day tomorrow if I have one dip. Um, but you can you can do it. I, I actually, I, I can go to a bar. I'll order a soda and lime 
and it's it's a placebo to me. Um, it's cheap. Half the time it's free. They don't charge you for it. Uh, and I feel like I'm a part of it, and I don't do anything I never did before. I go do everything I've always done. I just don't drink at it. And it and it and it's and it, hey man, it's a different struggle for everybody. And I'm not trying to lessen the how hard that can be. I can just tell you, it was a huge part of my life. My my granddad was an alcoholic. My uncles were alcoholics. It's in my family. I got that gene. My brother didn't, um, and uh, he got the higher cholesterol though. So that was, you know, was a pretty good trade off. Um, you can do it and in life does exist on the other side of that. Uh, we just kind of forget about it. Is this the perfect way to wrap it up? I don't know. I got a couple things. I'll go ahead. I, I we got, I've got all day. No, I, we got Y'all to wrap it up. But I, thanks for going out to the Owl's Picky part and getting the, the car axle <laughs> and welding my pull-up bar in my house. And, and that thing was stout. Teaching that me was how to, to fix my pool. And your, curl, and your curl bar was awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, that was a good one. And you picked black and green. And thank you for going to my mom's funeral. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want you to be there alone. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, bucket of. Go grab one. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, can I, can I, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Uh-oh. Please do. <laughs> well, you know, every person in here, I've got, Tons of memories with, you know, some more than others, but we've got great memories. Danny and I got to go out and have a blast out in uh, Fort, what was it, Fort Davis? Yeah. yeah, we had a blast. And, and you know, we have some things in common. Took us both a while to get to SWAT. Um, what, we're both ten like, times? Huh? Ten times? Eight. To- like total combined with you guys? Two years, eight tries. Oh, combined? <laughs> I don't know. So, eight, eight, five, so. Four, five. So it's like 13 tribes between us. <laughs> we like music together. We've got a lot of history in, in the things, you know, with SWAT and with our classes and in life. And, um, but there's a person in this room. <laughs> this is funny. There's a person in this room that, that I consider a hero. And it's not every day that you get to be around a person who you also consider a hero. And that person is not perfect as a human. Um, but... When you look at the totality of the circumstances and everything about this person, a, a hero to me is someone that pushes you, that can push you to be better at whatever you're doing, who's co- who's consistent in everything that they do. Um, and I got the joy of actually working with that person, getting to know that person intimately with hours and hours of, of time together, and yet still look at that person as, as a hero. And I talk about this person to my daughter. I talk about this person to my son. When I'm telling stories about pushing through when things are hard, that name always comes up over and over and over again. And it's Misty Van Curen. And Stop. I know. I Stop know. It. Well, it's fine. I mean, we'll go get something to eat. And... I'm focusing on the veins coming out of your bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and you're such, you know, there's so many people I know that, that, that feel that way. Um, and, it's it's it, it's even more than y'all know. It's even more than that that you've heard. It's 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 so much deeper. There's so many more. That onion has got so many more layers that you don't even know about. And it's and it's all. And like I said, man, we're all flawed. And we're all working to be better. Some people just have a something that, that that a whole lot of something that I didn't even know I had. Actually, I didn't know I had uh, a lot of the fight that I've got. I, I found a lot of that on SWAT. You know, I found a lot of that on the streets in Oak Cliff. 
Um, and it was there. I just didn't know it. I, it was always there. I didn't know how to bring it out. And so certain people, you know, Scott McDonald's one of them too, that just drew that, drew that, that out of me that they saw it. Jude Braun is one of them. He saw something that I never believed in. And, 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 but you know, so if you only knew what you had and, and what's great about Missy and I is we, we won't talk for a while. I mean, just not out of just life. And then I'll get a text. Random text, shiner bottle on the top of a Harley. And I'm like, yep, that's that's my buddy right there, right? That is, that's, and that, all that tells me is she's doing something and she thought of me and that means a lot to me. And uh, and so, you enough missed, of that you love fest. You something one time and you said fuel. And you brought fuel to our team. A, See, a, a level of fuel that made us better. And you're an incredible teammate. Well, but see, the difference is I, I didn't, <laughs> What makes a good boxer, right? It's usually not the Harvard graduate, right? It's usually somebody that, that had to scrap and fight from the time they walked out of the womb, right? I, I grew up in a home where I had everything I needed. I had two loving parents. I went to college. Um, I was an idiot. You know, I was just a bebopping kid. I didn't know. So I, didn't, I don't have a lot of the fuel that, that Misty got because that's not the upbringing you had. And, and, but what's interesting is, so your fuel came, there's, there's so much in your history that fuels you and, and, you know, thank God you ended up on our team, right? On the good side, because man, you'd be a, one heck of a bandit, right? One, I think I'd be okay in prison. <laughs> you'd be fine. But, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the same way so I didn't tap into something that I didn't even I didn't even know was there. But it was there. Well, but it took somebody like you to release it. And and so. JT and Scott and, and all Scott these people. We had the perfect chemistry. Oh, it was great. It was I great. Know. It was great. There's all right. It's more a lot cooler of, than a perfect team. Sorry for about all y'all. Yeah, sorry that for. Was just like just Yeah. Down memory lane. We might have to just cut that out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're great. Y'all aren't alone, man. If you're listening to this, you're not alone. Uh don't be shy to reach out. That's why I love ATO and I love, I love the uh, confidential counseling program that they have. It's the best thing that ATO's done, I think, in its existence. And um, man, I'm, my, call me. I'm, I'm meeting with one of our old buddies tomorrow for lunch just to talk, just to get caught up. I, I, I love it. I love, y'all need to be proud that you're in Dallas. You get the best training. You get the highest volume of stuff. Anything, in, police work is the same everywhere. It's the volume of it that changes. And so if you're working in Pantigo, Texas, you're going to see a murder. You're just not going to see many. But if you're working in Dallas, you're going to see a lot. So be, be grateful you're on the greatest department in the world. Chris, I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Um, I think we hit a home run. Danny just texted me and said, this is the best podcast ever. <laughs> it's got, the first one he's been at. I got, I, got, I, got, I got one last thing I want to tell a story, and it's going to be real quick. Um, you know, Webb wanting to go to SWAT all the time was big, and we were describing one time when we were in disruption, we had to ride SWAT guys were riding with us. And I had this guy, and we were talking about who was it, and I was, I was uh, trying to describe him, and I said, he just looked like a man. <laughs> and uh, we knew who he was. I'm not going to say his name because that, that's not – and that was uh, my perception of what a man might have looked like on the outside. But in my 25 years of friendship with you, but you are a man, 
everything you do and everything you've done and continue to do makes you a, a man. And I can't be more proud to know you and call you my friend. And you're gonna continue to do great things. The city of Dallas has lost because you're no longer here. If y'all hear his passion, I wish he would have stayed. He could have been successful as a, uh, a homicide detective, uh, uh, any kind of detective out here, a commander, a leader, and this department is at a loss because the department ran him off. And one last thing I want to say this to, and I know a lot of people know, know that he did this, but back in 1996, not many people got to do this, but he also ran with the Olympic torch <laughs> um, into Atlanta, which I think is one of the most coolest things in the world. So. I'm proud to call you my friend, and, and I didn't mean to extend this any longer, but... Big gulps, um, big gulps. This is, you See know, later. I can't be more proud of you. Buddy. Is that beer? It is. Love you guys. Love, Love you, you, buddy. Uh, You're welcome back anytime. Turn it off. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mr. I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. Never give up on